This week's episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is sponsored by Spark. It is the modeling app from Positive Grid. It is amazing. And I'm not saying it because the sponsor of our podcast. I'm saying because I bought it for myself for Christmas. It's Murdoch's you... girlfriend. His wife thought that he was cheating on her with a girl named Spark. The other night, it was like nine o'clock. We're hanging out, <laughs> me and my wife. And and she, she looked at me and she goes, hey, are you going to go play guitar? Yes. Because yes, I that's am. what I do every night. Cause I go in, I plug in the spark and I'm in fantasy land where I can play any amp I want to with any pedal I want to. And I can design and, and change the setup and have, I have four presets on the amp and just unlimited stuff. And there's 10,000 different tones in the cloud. It is unreal and we have a ten dollar off coupon uh right now for our listeners uh the code this week it is rrbs2 rrbs2 will get you ten dollars off when you go to positivegrid.com slash spark and i'm gonna warn you if you're interested and you go there you're gonna get retargeted and you're gonna buy one no matter what because you won't believe this crap. Spark is from Positive Grid. It is the most amazing modeling app on the market, and uh, they sponsor rock and roll bedtime stories this week. And that special code again is RRBS2. If you go to positivegrid.com slash spark. Hey, you awake? Yeah. I just want you to know I hate you. So is my dad. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. You tell me a story. How do you sleep at night? I don't want to hang out with a bunch of wannabe corporate sellouts. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories exists to set straight the rumor and innuendo about your favorite songs and your favorite bands. Two best buddies talking about rock and roll. My name is Brian and my buddy on the other end. I'm Murdoch. Are you seeing me evangelize with my hands? He's dancing. Nobody else can see our asses, but I'm... I'm pretending like I'm in church because you're about to tell me something and all you've told me for a week is we're going to talk about a ham sandwich <laughs> and I don't know what the I didn't try to figure it out. I mean but every but everybody Brian is going to tell us a story it has something to do with a ham sandwich. Last week we talked about Judas Priest records going backwards saying do it do and it. telling you to kill yourself. But this we, week, we we're did, going straight to the Waffle House. We did get a great note from uh, listener Troy, a good friend of ours, who said uh, that he always thought that the Judas Priest thing was so funny because he's like, if they were saying do it, they, what, what were they telling you to do? Like, there was no setup for what they were telling you to do. He's like, what if they were telling you to paint the house? And, and Which then sent me into this this head trip of like the idea of kids just randomly painting houses in the neighborhood being like, I don't know, Judas yeah. Priest told me to do it. Yeah, and and when you when you sent that to me, and I saw that, I laughed so hard because I left out such an amazing piece of the story about Judas Priest last week, which was their manager. Who I I don't think he was at all on. He was a witness, but I think they'd asked him something about it, and he said, "You know, if we were putting backward messages into a in, into music to make people do something, we would probably say buy more records." So why didn't we do that? And I thought, man, that is fucking genius. Oh man! So we've talked about food on the show before. We we've gotten to the M and M's in Van Halen's dressing room, right? That was a big classic rock and roll uh, story rumor. 
that you have heard before. Uh, this one, I know you've said you haven't heard about the ham sandwich, but this one to me resonates as one of the big rock and roll myths. And we're going to actually knock out two rock and roll myths at the same time because they're interrelated. And one is more fascinating than the other, but the ham sandwich one I think is more popular than the other. But they both okay. involve the sweet, sweet sounds of this band. Oh my gosh. It's the curators of the Monterey Pop Festival. The mamas and the papas. Now, I have a, I have some anecdotes here uh, before we get too far into talking about the mamas and the papas. One, everyone knows my love and affection for the Counting Crows. It, it is well documented in the world and probably on this podcast. And there was and a- I'm, I'm saying it's okay, even though we're... We're okay to be okay differently. <laughs> I, bought you, okay. I bought you that Big Star t-shirt you're wearing, so shut up. And it, is, it, is my, it is my favorite t-shirt. It is, the, it is one of the coolest <laughs> t-shirts I've ever seen in my life. And there was a tour where when the house lights uh, came up at the end of the show, I don't know if he did this at every date, but at the date I was at, Adam Duritz came back out on stage and they were playing California Dreamin' on the PA and he was like leading everyone in it as they were walking out. Like, without a mic yeah. or anything, just standing on the stage dancing to California Dreamin', which, when I hear it now, I think of that. It makes me happy. Also, a second anecdote. I am a gigantic supporter of the public library. Another well-documented fact about me, both in practice and in concept. Uh, and I've yeah. spoken many times at length about this love and affection for the system and how, in a lot of ways, it's what got me into being the host of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, right? Because I was reading liner notes to Time Life collections, etc., because I was finding them at the library as a kid. Now, that said... In my long history as a patron of multiple libraries, only thing I have ever lost and been forced to pay to replace mm-hmm. a CD copy of the Mamas and the Papas Greatest Hits. Really? Wow, man. <laughs> I ended up paying like $25 to replace this. Holy and Yeah, it was like, you know, because they have to, uh, yeah, who, who knows why it was that much. So I, to have that charge expunged from my record, and have my card reactivated. I had to pay him. And then, like, the next week, literally, like, I let it go for months because I was like, surely it's going to show up because I don't lose things. Things just disappear and then reappear, right? That's just tends to be my MO. And so I thought, it's going to show back up. I finally gave up. I needed the library card back. I paid for it. And the next weekend, I was I pulled out my bass guitar and got into the case to get strings or something, and it was down there in the front case of the bass guitar. Huh. Oh, that's so crazy. Yeah. And you know what? And so I don't have any of a big connection with that, with the group. Um, I know about their incredibly awful, terrible freak show of a relationship together. But uh, that so, song, so let me say first right? that it occurred what? to me when I first started working on this, there's a really yucky John Phillips story about sex abuse. We are not, That is not what we're here to talk about. Let no, me just no, clear no, no. the air. That's but, not what but, we're talking about. But but the song itself is, is a... Uh, it is a punch to the gut. It takes you somewhere. It is. A, it is a really. But for me, like I'm not. I'm not really interested in them as a whole. As like an artist in a candidate at all. I, I've tried, and I, I do like some of Mama Cass's solo stuff. But for me, they're most significant because they were the curators of the Monterey Pop Festival yeah. in '67, and yeah. they brought Otis Redding in front of a crowd full of white people that never seen Otis Redding. 
And he played, he's like, turn around and told everyone to play shake in triple time to get those white motherfuckers to stay back in their seats. It was late at night. Everybody's tripping their faces off, whatever they're doing or whatever. But, but John, uh, asked Paul McCartney if they would play. And, and Paul said that they, they weren't going to play, but he recommended that they book a guy named Jimi Hendrix. And that was how Hendrix ended up going on after the who that, that's that's amazing amazing facts about that band and we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about the rest of them but i'm glad you like mama Cass because mama Cass is who we're here to talk about so let me just go ahead and say <laughs> have you have you never have you never heard the rumor that mama Cass died by choking on a ham sandwich jesus brian this this yeah that's the, yeah that's the thing isn't it yeah, that's, yeah, I always I heard that. Yeah, that's the thing. Ellen Naomi Cohen, better known as Cass Elliot or just Mama Cass, grew Mama up poor, Cass. found a love of singing and acting, graduated from high school and went to New York City to act. Right. Uh, toured in a production of The Music Man briefly, which side note, an all time favorite, fa- all time favorite piece of pop culture for Brian. When my kids learned about Hamilton, I was like, actually, let me show you Marion Librarian. And they were like, no, no, that's not the same. But uh, I do, I do love the music man. And Mama Cass was in a lot of. Uh, she she actually lost a a part in a different musical at one point to an up and comer named Babs Streisand. <laughs> that, wow. that actually happened. They were up for the same part, and she lost it. So she eventually decides, after acting a little bit in New York, to go back to school and attend American University in Washington D.C. And when she's there. She picks up singing out in public with this folk group, and they're called the Big Three. And they form this short-lived band. Wait, now, like, they were the Big Three. She joins, uh, and then they eventually form another band called the Mugwumps with a guy who goes on to be part Mug- of the Lovin' Spoonful. Mugwumps, not- yeah, dude, you are. I am so with you. Keep going. So not John Sebastian, the other guy from yeah, Lovin' Spoonful. <laughs> it's like when you talk about Wham. Not George Michael, the other guy. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, I was in. I went to Pigeon Forge for the very first time when I was like nineteen or twenty, and I might have been under the influence. And and there was one of those places where it's like you know the Dixie Stampede or whatever, and it was like Loving Spoonful. <laughs> and I was like, guys, we're fucking going. We're gonna go see John Sebastian. Do you believe in magic? We're gonna go do it. And and we got in there, and it was like. It, it was like, I guess, what it, when, when people were saying they have like a really bad time or a really bad trip or whatever, that was it for us. And I think we, we didn't last 15 minutes watching The Loving Spoonful and Pigeon Forge. And we, we, we walked out. Like, we didn't know what it was happening. We didn't know if it was actually even any of them. <laughs> you know and it was terrible. You, you, you find out years later it was actually The Loving Forkful, a tribute band to The Loving Spoonful. <laughs> it's I, the lo- no, it's the Lovin' Sporkful. <laughs> my, my my dad told me about the Lovin' Spoonful. I remember him saying, "Like you want to hear a you want to hear a jam, Brian. This is the song you need to hear." And playing me this song. Uh. Hey. Hot town, summer in the city. Back of my neck, getting dirt and gritty. Then down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around, people looking happy. Yeah, man, love and spoonful. Do, do, do you know that? Do you know that my accidental? So I'm a Gen Xer. My accidental, ex, um, 
exposure to John Sebastian, actually before The Love and Spoonful, was because I watched Welcome Back, Carter. I watched the the sitcom with Travolta that was on TV, and the the theme song was "Welcome Back." It's good to see whatever. It's like that was John Sebastian singing really? the theme. He sang the yes. theme song to "Welcome yes. Back, Cotter." I did not know that. And I love that song so much as a kid. And once I was able to put those two things together, I was like, "Oh my god!" And now looking back at it, it was like a '60s uh, icon guy. By the way, he went to Woodstock and he was off of his face at Woodstock. He could barely he could barely keep. I hope other people understood what he was talking about, but I, I never have been able to. But but anyway, um, whoa, I wish you could hear it. We're live here on the podcast and there are screaming motherfuckers on my street. Yeah, what is Sorry. happening, man? You need you need to check on that. What's going on out there? That might be a rock and roll bedtime story developing. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so cool. south of the water. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so uh, quick diversion about TV theme songs. This has nothing to do with the episode, but I my kids uh, have wanted to uh, watch a show. We were looking for a new show to watch, and, and I was looking for something that would be fun for all of us. And, you know, my wife and I watched several seasons way back in the day when it first aired over 10 years ago, this show Psych, which I don't know if you ever saw. I think it was on USA Network or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't uh, watch all of it, but I enjoyed it. And yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a silly, fun show to watch for for, with with preteens and teenagers. So we uh, but the theme song is I know, you know, that I'm not telling the truth. And I was like, oh, what is the story? I knew there was a story on that. Right. Probably not. Probably doesn't warrant a whole episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. But here's the story on that. The creator of that show, Steve Frank had a band and they did that song and because he was the creator of the show he got the power to make the theme song for his own show. so it's the only song that you can find by this band i forget what their name is but they have the and it's it's actually a really good power pop song and it's just randomly on the you know so like millions of people know this song but they never did anything else and it was only because he had a tv show to theme to, which is just a fun thing right if you're gonna create a tv show you might as well get your band to do the theme song yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is the residuals are golden, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude. Totally. That's it. Totally. The refreshments. If anyone ever wanted to slag on those guys, it's like friends. Like, I guess they could just walk around their place while the platinum records around their houses and their their Mount Olympus of cocaine or whatever those rich guys have. <laughs> I mean, they've made so much money. I mean, good Lord, when they they syndicated that thing and oh. Yep. Can you imagine how much money a band like that makes? Like, I remember, like, Paul Anka wrote the the Tonight Show theme. Yeah. Like, people made. I saw Paul Anka in concert one time with my mom, and I wanted. I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to hear this guy. <laughs> but like, in the middle of the thing, it's like da 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 He like doesn't even sing. He plays the tune he composed. Uh, the refreshments were King of Hill theme song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's coming back. It's coming. It's coming back. By the way, do we need that? I guess we need that. Mike Judge should always have a voice. That's not. That's my purse. I think so. Well, I mean, I've it changed the way I think about propane. Every every time I I say propane in that accent, and it it gave me a, a a way to to be able to explain and give people context when. People are talking, you're having a conversation, and I'll be like, you know, Boomhauer on King of the Hill. And I'm like, well, that's what it's like to talk to my dad. Oh, man, 
that is what it's like to talk to your dad. Oh, dude, I on our old podcast, we did an episode where he told a whole story about where you told a whole story about him telling a whole story about driving. Who did he drive? He drove some band. I was like, we need to talk about this again on Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. He drove some musician because he was driving a car for a friend or something like like professionally. And but you you used to do this impression of your dad, which was one of my all time favorite things. Can can we get a little bit of it? Yeah, we're gonna talk about loving Spoonful to John. We're gonna talk about John Sebastian or something here. I thought we were supposed to talk about Mama Cass and the Ham Sandwich. Ham- <laughs> I was gonna say, can your dad get us back on track? Because we are way off the point. Okay, Ham Sandwich, Mama Cass, Ham Sandwich. Let's get let's get back into it. So she's in this band with the other guy from the Loving Spoonful, and then the other guy in the band. So there's three of them, and and he ends up leaving and starting a band with John Phillips. And when he and John Phillips get farther along, he's like, you know who we need to have in this band. And he calls back his friend, Mama Cass. So they start playing together as the new journeyman. And after a gig, Cass is walking around the bar where they have been doing const- where they've been doing construction, right? So they're they they're actually it in this weird spot where they've gotten this gig and they've just started playing together. And the it, it's just it's a really strange story. She claims that this copper tubing hit her on the head at this bar. She got a concussion and swears to this day that it increased her range by three notes. Wow. Holy crap. Now, that's that's a rock and roll story I'd never heard. Who wow. I can't verify that. If Mama Cass says it's true, I'm going to choose to believe it. The Mamas and the Papas, did you know that they were not actually together for very long? Uh, it, I, I totally knew that, yeah. In 1967, when they weren't um, you know, making that awesome pop festival... There is this weird court case where Mama Cass gets in trouble for stealing bed linens from a hotel, and it kind of ends up breaking up the band. This is this is a true story. <laughs> totally, she she steals like which is that. hilarious, right? Like that of all things to steal from a hotel, but she stole some sheets. She ends up going on to a solo career. She does some TV. She struggles with her weight. And she gets into heroin, which is what you do after you struggle with your... No, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not that's not a good joke. Um, yeah. We get to July 29th, 1974, because again, I'm, I'm sorry, but because we know this is about her death, we're speeding it up. Uh, she's got a string of shows in London, and her friend Harry Nelson says that she can stay in this flat <sighs> that he has. Do you know yeah. anything about any of this? Don't spoil it if you no, do. No, no, I just know I I just forgotten that they were friends. But go ahead. So that night, Elliot, age thirty-two, Mama Cass, dies wow. in her sleep. Thirty-two years old. Now, here is where the rumor comes from. You've we an often repeated urban legend says that Elliot choked to death on a ham sandwich. The story yes. spread soon after the discovery of her body. And it was based on speculation in the initial media coverage. Now, there is a 2014 article where there is a person who is identified for starting the false rumor. Unfortunately, the first doctor in London who examined her speculated to the press about the cause of death, and that's the version that stuck. An autopsy had not been performed when the physician was quoted, and in the Metropolitan Police report it is said that a partially eaten sandwich was found in her room 
Wow. So I want to, I just want to interrupt and we'll get back to Mama Cass, but this is amazing. There's a, there's a, there's a similar story that happened and think about it. It's Janice. So there, there's a documentary. You can watch it right now. I think it's still on Amazon prime. It's free. It's called the uh, rainbow, whatever it's, it's about the rainbow bar and grill. It's still oh, yeah, alive. Yeah, you've talked about this. It, that Lemmy has the statue where he used to play poker. They got a statue, the guy, whatever. But so as a family run business, you know, and the, the guy used to own it, who was there, like he, they have him on camera talking about when Charlie Manson came there and he, he like wouldn't leave and he had to come, from his house to tell him to get the hell out of his bar. Amazing stuff. But like one of his kids, I guess, or somebody in the family was partying with Janice. And the next day, um, they, the initial media reports were about Janice had died from, from some type of alcohol related death. And he was with her and he was drinking with her. And he, um, he was living with that for a while until they had the autopsy and found out that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't all that what Janice had ingested that evening. She just wasn't drunk. She'd been doing other stuff, uh, but see that. So the initial, you know, that initial partying thing was, was there too. So what really happened? Because this is what our podcast is about. So, right. so when, when Keith Simpson, is this is the guy who performs the autopsy when he performs the autopsy he determines Elliot had died of heart failure no food present in her windpipe so it was her heart and i mean she was not in good health as we know there was a history of drugs she had struggled with her weight a, a drug screen that was part of the forensic autopsy revealed that there were no drugs in her system at the time but definitely she was not in, in good shape now her cardiac condition also, they say, may have been exacerbated by an extreme yo-yo diet because she would alternate with week-long fasts and then she'd just gain weight back. So, wow. there you go. Wow. Rumor, rumor number one, ham sandwich, false. Bonus false. rumor. You ready? Rumor, rumor number two. This is a whole different story. And, oh. and to do this... Oh, there's something else? To do, okay, I right. told you, there's two stories and they both involve Mama Cass. Elliot died in flat 12... Nine Curzon Place, later known as Curzon Square, Shepherd Market, Mayfair, London. All right? Owned by cool. Harry Nilsson. That was a, a his, small detail in that first story. It becomes a big detail in this story. Can we? She died, she died at his place. She died at his place. Ugh, Can we talk about this dude a for a drag. quick second? Yeah. Okay, my, my experience with Nilsson, besides the obvious hits, was when I was like 24, and I was hanging out with my buddy Jeff, and we were driving to the pool, and you know what dudes do when they drive to the pool, right? He was like, bro, you got to check out this jam. And he turns on this song. Me and my arrow. Oh, my gosh. Do you know this song? Straight yeah. So do you know what Brian. it's on? Do you know what it's on? <laughs> yes. But before I get to that. Are you going to tell me that you true. love the point? No, it's just it's just kismet between you and I. So I listened to I listened to him years ago, and then I just dumped him. And I always love jumped in the fire because I love seeing Ray Liotta just blacked out on cocaine oh, yeah, yeah, at yeah, the yeah, end yeah, of Goodfellas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. If you could climb a mountain, yeah, yeah, ah, and he's like that whole thing, that whole sequence is just brilliant Scorsese freak show with this the perfect song over it but I, I i didn't dump him i just didn't listen to him and then when i actually got back on the radio when i was djing 
um, at WFBK in here in Louisville, and I was doing that, and he would be dumped into like the older things. And one day I had me and my arrow, and I was like, "I'm someone's telling me to play this. This is hilarious." And so I got to play it, and then there was another mom at the school where my kid goes to school, and she she had videotaped her kid in the back seat singing along to me and my arrow when I played on the radio. So the, 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 very enduring children's program, which I what? never was exposed to, but it was it's it's a it's a no clue. a children's record in a children's program and it's a, it's a story and I remember I vividly remember my buddy Jeff, he lives in New Orleans now, shout out, I hope he listens. And he had on the way to the pool, like, you know, what He's like, oh, let me tell you about this thing from my childhood. And he, like, this was an important part of his childhood. He listened to it all the time in his childhood. He had really? kept it around. He had it in his, you know, this was back in the time of CD cases. He had it in his CD case in his car. And he was showing me songs off of this record. And I was always like, so when people would talk about Harry Nelson later, I would be like, that's the guy that made the children's record that Jeff liked, right? Like, that was like my point of reference for it. Um, but obviously, he did a lot of other stuff. During a 1968 press conference, the Beatles were asked their favorite American group, and they answered Nelson. Did you know that? No, he, that's awesome. He, he earned the nickname the American Beatle. He soon formed close relationships yeah. with, with Lennon and Ringo. Yes. And in the 1970s, yeah. I didn't know this, but I'm sure you did. Nelson, Lennon, and Ringo Starr were considered members of the Hollywood Vampires Drinking Club. Yes, it is. Yeah, if you if you watch the, I can't believe we're all to. I mean, we didn't plan this conversation. This is a, this it's is in it, the rainbow because you told me about it's this. It, yeah, it's in the Rainbow documentary. It's upstairs, and like Mickey from the Monkees hung out with them. Yep, yep. And and uh, yeah, so they're up there hanging out. And 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 while it, it's Mickey Dolenz who who tells the story because Harry isn't there, and so John isn't there. And I, I don't think Alice Cooper is in this movie, but I think Alice was in there too, right? Um, Ringo is not in the documentary, but they show still photographs, and they shows still photographs in this rainbow documentary that's on prime and listen peoples if you love the rock and rolls it is amazing to see mickey dolan's from the monkeys talking about hanging out with these guys and they show these still photographs and they are so <laughs> fucked up it's like <laughs> pictures of harry nielsen and ringo and like you can just physically look at them and they look like they are sweaty and drunk well, and, I didn't and, know. And totally messed up. I didn't know that they they put out a collaborative album. Did you know this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they played they played softball together with Alice Cooper. I mean, did I, you know that? No, it all, it all it's, it's all weird. And <laughs> talk about the record. Talk about the music first. They funny. cover Subterranean Homesick Blues. John Lennon yes. and Harry Nilsson together. Yeah. How I've lived this long without realizing this happened. I mean, they do save the last dance for me and rock around the clock and all my life. And I mean, it's just, it, it's called Pussycats. It came out in 1974. I mean, yeah. just hilarious stuff. So, I mean, a little more about Harry Nelson because he does figure into this story. Uh, so, after 1977, he leaves RCA and his record output diminishes. 
And in response to uh, Lenin's 1980 murder, he takes a hiatus from the music industry to campaign yes. for gun control. Yes, he yeah he did. He became an he became an activist for gun control in 1980. That's that's a little early. He, he's he's he was on the front end there for the rest of his life. He it's recorded only, enough. only sporadically. In 1994, he dies of a heart attack while in the midst of recording what became his last album, Lost yeah. and Found. I know. Um, I, I remember. I remember working at college radio, and there was a there was like a thing about it that you're going to get a Nielsen record, and I was like, ah, this is kind of interesting. And then uh, we kind of waited on it. You know, it, it was it, it was interesting because it, you know, because whoever whoever had the money behind that guy who was you know at this point like is an unsung legend in rock and roll. I mean, like yeah. a huge unsung legend. They have to re-educate an entire generation of people like me, you know, that's a Gen Xer. Like I didn't grow up with Harry Nielsen. I was I wasn't listening to Harry Nielsen uh, at all. Oh, I know what you were listening to. You you were listening probably to something like uh, like this. (laughs) Trying to love two women. Right? I know about you and the Oak Ridge Boys. We used to work together and have to uh, promote state fair shows when the Oak Ridge Boys would come every Sometimes year. pleasure ain't worth, ain't worth the pain. Ride. It's a long old ride. Yeah. And, and hey, listen, listen. Today... Today I, I found out, and I knew I knew this happened earlier today. But I was cutting the grass, and I'd stop for a minute cutting the grass, and I opened up Spotify, and I hit my microphone thing, and I said, "Hey, Spotify, play South of Heaven by Slayer," and then put it back in my pocket. And <laughs> I was like, "Wow!" I, I try to think about that because the more you learn about music, um. It's endless, and and, and it, you don't have to be snookered into a genre. It's, it's okay to learn about music that you don't like. You know, you can still be like, "All right, well, this sucks. I'm out." Um, you you can listen yeah. to the point. You can listen to Slayer. You can listen to the Oak Ridge Boys. It's it's all beautiful, beautiful music. Yeah, but 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 so the thing the thing that stunk is that I mean we we lost we lost a good plus decade plus of Harry Nielsen. Yeah, and like yeah. he 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 Check split, it yeah. So so here's the interesting thing to to bring it back to Mama Cass. Since and why was he letting her stay in his apartment? Since he was only in London half the year during this time in the late '60s, he would loan it to pals while he was out of town. Now Nelson has said it was just a typical London flat, but it was in a great neighborhood and it was across from the Playboy Club diagonally. So from one balcony, you could read the time from Big Ben and from the other balcony, you could watch the bunnies come in and out of the the Playboy Club. Now, is it true, we're getting to the second rumor, is it true that Mama Cass was not the only rock star to die in that apartment? (laughs) And I'm not talking about Harry Nelson. Now, we've talked about Mr. Keith Moon on this show before. The man responsible for Dynamite and his drum kit and the best Smothers Brothers TV moment in history. And as yeah, told they, on this show, the first rock and roll ba- uh, band to get a lifetime ban from yeah. a worldwide motel chain. The Holiday Inn. Amazing story. Go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, that's, that, that is pretty amazing. I'm a big Led Zeppelin freak, and it is totally true. And 
and uh, I listened to live shows like that. People were there are tapers still dumping these things up on the internet now, and it's fifty plus years these things have been around. But there's one show in particular, and it's a Madison Square Garden show where Moon gets on the drum kit, and they have to remove him from the drum kit. Yes, yes. And that that is an amazing clip. It's also in the show notes of that earlier episode. You Yes, if you have not seen that, make sure you go back and see that. But if you know anything about Keith Moon, you can only guess that he died too young, and he probably died from too much of something. And you would be right. But... Is it true that he died in the exact same apartment as Mama Cass? Murdoch, what do you think? Is it true or is it false? That is the rock and roll bedtime story. True. Yes, 100%. Man, that's crazy. Man, did did Harry Nielsen own that place yeah. when he died? Oh, yeah. Four years man, later, how? four years later, Keith Moon, the Who drummer, legendary for his excess, was borrowing the same apartment from the same person, from Harry Nielsen, on September 6th. 1978, he attends a screening of the Buddy Holly story hosted by Paul McCartney. Oh, oh my gosh. At 4.30 a.m., he comes home. He takes pills. He goes to sleep. He gets up. He eats a steak. He takes more pills. Now, when I say more pills, how many do you think? Uh, 60. 32. Good guess. <laughs> Heminivrin. He dies. Guess what his age is? Uh, he was 27? He was 32, the same age as Mama Cass was four years before. Oh, oh man. It, so how how bad vibed out do you have to be to have two people <laughs> die in your place? I want to so, know. I want to know. I, I know you didn't look this up, man, but how, how much longer did, did Nielsen live in that joint, man? Oh, bro. I, mean, I would unload that on anyone. Bro. To make, like, cost you, you to get out. You think I didn't look that up? Okay, well, okay, so what happened? Harry, Harry Nelson, what the hell, man? What do you do if you're him? What do you do with that apartment? Understandably spooked, Nelson never returns to the apartment, never goes oh. back. So then, and he sell, he just never comes back and sells it. So Pete Townsend, yeah. who had been renting it from him on Moon's behalf, because we all know Keith Moon was a man child, bought it from him so he would never have to see it again. Yeah. It, in 2002, good. Townsend was actually asked what he would say to Keith Moon in the afterlife, which seems like a desperate journalist, but he, he said, I would tell Keith Moon, you owe me 5,000 pounds in back rent. <laughs> I, I would also, I would also say like, man, I get a free, I get a free, uh, right uppercut for you ruining my hearing for the rest of my life, you right? motherfucker. And then, yeah. he, then he's renting the apartment for him? Like, man, that, yeah. that's a true friend right there. You, you gotta yeah, it's, hold on to that friendship, Keith. Yeah, it's Moon's it's Moon's fault that he's he went he went deaf. That's crazy. So there there you go. We we set two rock and roll rumors oh. to rest. Two of them. Mama he's, Cass did not die from a ham sandwich, but she did die in the same apartment that four years later at the same age, Keith Moon died in, uh, to be very quickly sold away by Harry Nelson to Pete Townsend. Wow, man, what a bunch of crazy rock and roll foolishness. No, man, that was that was really great, man. I I, I really enjoyed this. And I, I didn't know where we were going initially with Ham Sandwich, but this was great. Thanks for putting all the couple things together. It's, su it's super exciting to to get to revisit the people who were significant um you know it's like 
if you want to tell like a, a story about Stephen Jenkins from Third Eye Blind, like, well, you know, he's going to get overshadowed by Buddy Holly, yeah, right? I mean, listen, I've got a lot of those stories. If you I, sh- honestly, when we started Rock and Roll Bedtime, Murdoch's making fun of me because when we started Rock and Roll Bedtime uh, stories, I had a three episode plan, and it was basically. <laughs> It was the we've done two of them, but the third one that we've never done that I gave up on was was about the history of Third Eye Blind and all their lawsuits. I realize it's not near as interesting as ham sandwiches and all that stuff. But uh, if you've got a story that you think is interesting that you want us to research, or if you want to tell Murdoch that he should let me do the Third Eye Blind episode, all you have to do is email the show at wearethestoryguys at gmail dot com. We are the storyguys at gmail dot com. Do it. And until then, what what should people keep doing, Murdoch? Whether or not these are about Third Eye Blind, what should they keep doing? I want something else to get me through this semi-charm kind of life. Keep telling stories, baby. I want something By the way, I have no idea why I picked on Stephen Jenkins. Like, it wasn't even towards you. I was like, I need to pick on the opposite of this. I'm going to go third eye. Sure, sure. Whatever you say, man. Whatever you say.